everyone, and welcome to Bonus 64. This is the Patreon-exclusive show where we are playing a game chosen by one of our patrons who gets to come on the show and talk to us about it. Uh, and the game we're playing today is maybe one of the saddest games you'll ever play in your life. I mean that in a good way. Uh, this game is going to make you feel things. We're talking about What Remains of Edith Finch, which is appropriate because I'm What Remains of Steve Guntley. Oh, hi. Um, good. I, I don't know. I don't know how you started. I don't know where you were before <laughs> all of the parts of you started falling off. But um, I feel like we've 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 been left with some quality pieces. I hope so. I hope so. I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm a bit COVID ravaged at the moment, so uh, I, I've, uh, I've got I've got parts of my brain basically just like falling out. Uh, so okay. it, so it, you, it should you, be a fun you, adventure. You, you did the traditional thing where you was where you assumed that it was not COVID, and then it turned out to be COVID. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had to pull a little switcheroo. Yeah. Yeah. I like to I like to keep people Ooh, on their fun. toes. Yes. Exactly. Um, I am Orcas Island train conductor Woody Siskowski. <laughs> I have some thoughts about that. That was the first thing that popped in my head when I'm playing this. I'm like, wait, is there a train? I don't know if there's well, you, a train. You're going to get some experts, my friend. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to hear it. Uh, we are here today uh, courtesy of our special guest, one of our favorites. Uh, we're back once again. Uh, it's uh, Scott Berger's here with us. Hey, Scott. Yay! I I am also one of my favorites. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> you should. Yeah. Be. Thanks. Thanks for. Yeah. No, thanks for having me back on uh, again. Uh, there's there's only two times where my heart rate gets this high and I get this nervous before things. One of them is coming onto the show to report record a podcast, <laughs> and the other time is me playing in cello recitals with like ten year olds. <laughs> because you're so afraid are... that the ten year olds are gonna out out outshine you in cello ability. Is that the problem? No, no, they do. Like th that's not even up for debate at all. It's the the aspect of like having to go up there and like having to be completely outclassed by ten year olds who have spent seventy five percent of their entire life playing an instrument versus me who's just kind of dabbling on it. That's exactly yeah. why I don't play Fortnite. <laughs> I can't stand the concept of being outclassed by ten year olds. Uh, well, we are we're very excited to have you on, and we're very excited to talk about this game, a game I know that has a, a, a deep personal resonance for uh, two out of three of the three people on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to start. I, I think I kind of know some of the answer, but for the listeners at home, Scott, why did you choose this game to talk about today? Um, yeah, I guess we'll get into the personal connection in a sec, but um, I had a, a big mile-long list of games that I was going to uh, torture uh, you guys with yeah where, uh, where's all the ask yard in this one scott where are the intricate <laughs> systems of dwarf management and like i was deeply confused when i was deeply confused when things looked like houses and not at symbols in this one i don't know what's going on yeah. i know there there's a missed opportunity for there to be kind of like a, a computer hidden away in this house somewhere where you can boot up like old ascii <laughs> games know, in there I, but, I wouldn't put it yeah. past this game to have one of the entire like uh death segments done in ascii art like oh, that totally. feels very on brand some of the other games that uh that i was thinking about torturing you guys with were uh the the free-to-play game space engine which i guess is more of a planetarium <laughs> simulator but you know but uh you dodged the bullet on that one you dodged the bullet on monos the hands of fate video game Wait, there's a monos uh, the hands of fate video game i've played that one <laughs> you bet you bet that there is pretty fun is are you talking about the mobile one it's oh, like guys... kind of the platformer yeah, it's like a side-scrolling 2D platformer yeah. that has uh, all of your favorite scenes from the from the, I almost said book from the movie, including the uh, the scene where uh, the main character is flying the the biplane and shooting stuff. It's a fun so, game. I 
it's amazing how many different mediums um, Manos the Hands of Fate has crossed into. Um, I, I know that it was a series of trading cards on Kickstarter, and I've also seen the puppet show entitled Manos the Hands of Felt. <laughs> it's a good it's a good lesson like i'm not going to go into the sad history of manos but it's a good lesson to never give up never give up on your art put it out there and just like give mm -hmm. it some time uh, because it's going to yeah. find an audience anyway sorry with enough with enough time or perseverance maybe people generations past will be making fun of your ineptitude yes <laughs> Yeah, so, and, you know, the, the other games also included uh, were 5D chess with multiverse time travel that you guys oh, just barely squeaked out of. I've actually been very curious about that game. It sounds good, but I figured, like, if, if this was going to be uh, the last time uh, irritating your listeners with all sorts of bizarre uh, uh, games, I figured I'd end on a high note with something that's maybe a little more accessible than some of the ones that I just listed, yeah. so... Um, so yeah, this one, I remember very distinctly, I was listening to the podcast and, uh, Woody was mentioning like, oh, I just downloaded this game called Edith, Edith Finch. It takes place in Washington state on some Island. And I had always just to kind of assumed that it took place on like a fictionalized version of like Whidbey Island or like something that was just kind of like thrown away. And then Woody mentioned it took place on Orcus and I dropped, literally dropped everything that I was doing and like sprinted down the hallway to my computer. I'm like, I need to play this right now. I mean, yeah, that's that, um, well, it, to provide context. I I grew up on Orcas Island. Um, Scott moved to Orcas Island. Um, I think in high school, and that was where we met. Um, so we both have a history of Orcas Island. It's a very, it's a place that when you grow up there, you feel a very strong sense of home and attachment to it, because it's a very distinct place to live, and there's not. There's not many things that are set there in, in media because uh, there's not a lot of things on the island. Yeah. It's it's not like a media where you can set everything in New York because there's any kind of um, environment that you want to explore there. Um, it's just like, well, there's we're out in the forest and there's some trees. I mean, it is a really cool idea, like, when you grow up in a small town, like, to see it represented in a piece of media of any kind, you know? It's it's increasingly rare, and I, imag I imagine it must be even more rare when you grow up on an island, which is, you know, by definition, very isolated and kind of uh, uh, cut off from the world. I was hoping you guys could give our listeners sort of like an Orcas Island minute here, and... Uh, uh, fill us in a little bit on on the environment itself, because my understanding, based on this game, is that it's full of uh, a bunch of kind of magical dreamers who are too special for this world, you know, and build a lot of ramshackle houses out of boats. Well, I'm gonna say uh, that, that part is accurate. Like that's that's <laughs> definitely. Uh, I imagine that my dad actually had some handiwork uh, building the house that uh, Edith Finch takes place in. Um. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Orcus attracts a fair share of kind of off-the-grid style hippies um, or just people who want to foster a little more sense of community and s slow down a little bit from an urban environment. So my uh, like the, one of the things that always struck me about Orcus is that there are no chains there. There's nothing like there, there are no like, corporate businesses or anything on the island. Is that still correct? That is still correct. I believe there was a community ordinance passed to prevent um, those sort of, you know, 
no McDonald's, no, no Subway, anything like that. Um, no, you know, chain grocery stores. I'm not sure that there would be the amount of interest or people there to really justify that. Um, I don't know. It's, it's this place where community is a pretty important part and you really get to know, like, you know, I went to school with the same people for 12 years, essentially. Yeah. Um, what were you, you going to say some about it, Scott? Yeah, I think like there's like maybe recently in the past, I don't know, 20 ish years, question mark. It's it's been slowly moving towards the realm of like, um, yeah, like this kind of dichotomy of like small town, uh, sleepy, like uh, not quite fishing village. Because I don't think there's any fishing industry there, really. But like, <laughs> uh, but that kind of vibe combined with like extremely high-end like super posh like houses that you would never be able to afford in a million years and that's true i feel like that's like all things in washington state that's kind of gotten a lot worse in the past 20 years um but yeah i think like for me the the orcas connection yeah like i did uh one year of high school out in the in the chicagoland area where i think there was like there had to be like at least three thousand people in my freshman class or or something like that it was crazy big and then coming to Orcus, where our graduating class, I think, was like 25 people. Mm. Uh, it was the biggest the biggest class in our high school history, and it was 40. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. So, yeah, like that kind of uh, and, and just coming from, you know, the, the flat uh, suburban wasteland that is, you know, uh, the Chicago area out to the like the Lord of the Rings equivalent uh, at the time of big craggly mountains and big tall trees and thick forests and all that was like a magical experience it was like you know it's like the the first thing that you're greeted with when you boot up uh this game is like this thick forest of of like new magical things to explore and what's around every corner kind of i mean yeah i've 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 only been to orcas one time uh which was a a weekend uh what do you remember we we uh all hung out at uh your parents house for the weekend it was it was a really it i mean it's a pretty magical little place, you know. It really is, and it's it's worth checking out. I mean, do you guys know roughly the population on the island? Uh, yeah, it hasn't changed too substantially. Um, it's I think about three thousand, uh, probably year round residents, and maybe that probably grows to like ten thousand in the summer. Yeah. Okay. So there's like a seasonal uh, 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 crowd. Oh and, yeah. The seasonal difference is huge. And uh, w- roughly, what percentage would you say work in the local uh, railroad industry? A hundred percent, or I guess not. Eighty percent are in the railroads. Twenty percent are in the canneries. Oh sure. <laughs> we joke, but there is a uh, uh, a a small like cutesy little train that you can ride around Burton Burton's property. If I remember right, that's the guy who invented like the silent mechanism for ceiling fans. Whoa! Oh, interesting. And he made he he became a multimillionaire with that and bought a huge piece of property. Now, see, that feels like a character that would be in this game, like because these are <laughs> a, a lot of the characters in this game seem to be kind of like independently wealthy for quirky reasons. You know, like uh, there was a child star who was famous for two years and things like that. You know, so someone who invented a mechanism to silence ceiling fans would be that's perfect like yeah that's that's a perfect like eccentric uh, millionaire option um i want to take a moment here to reach out to you the listener directly and i just want to say like 
I think it's impossible for us to talk very much about this game without kind of giving big spoilers in the mm. sense that like, I don't think spoilers are a tremendous deal for most video games. Cause like you could tell me the story of like metal gear solid five and I would still play it and have a great time. Um, but in this game, sort of the story and the moments and discovering those new moments is all there is. Yeah. So if you have any interest in playing this game, which I think all three of us would say is probably worth doing, it's a very short game. Yes. Um, I would say stop listening to this podcast and come back <laughs> after you've spent less than two hours to beat this game. Yeah, literally, you will have it uh, done in ver a very short amount of time. I will also add a content warning, uh, just because this this episode is going to talk a lot about death and about self harm and about uh, suicide and things like that, because that's just it, it's it's contextual stuff that comes up in the game. So just kind of you but know, we're we're gonna we're gonna handle it very maturely. We're gonna have to make jokes about babies drowning in the bathtub. Oh God, no, no, though, come on! Even this though is Lord a... knows it's ripe for comedy. Didn't this you is guys tell me to bring podcast. a slide whistle and my big baggy <laughs> yeah, clown pants? Exactly. <laughs> well, let's Scott. You brought your symbols, right? <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the nuts and bolts of this game. So, what remains of Edith Finch was released April twenty fifth, twenty seventeen. It was developed by Giant Sparrow and published by Annapurna Interactive. This was released on Windows, PS four, PS five, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Switch, and iOS. So uh, a little bit about Giant Sparrow. They're a California-based indie developer. They made their debut in 2012 with a game called The Unfinished Swan. Did either of you play The Unfinished Swan? No. Nope. I, I, I played this one. I really enjoyed it. The kind of concept of this is that you start in just like a big white void, and all you have at your disposal are balls of ink that you can throw around. And every time you throw a ball, <laughs> it just reveals more of the environment. And so it's kind of like a puzzle-solving thing where you're you're gradually exploring. And, and like Edith Finch, it's a very short game, like maybe two, three hours to play through the entire thing. Very quirky and beautiful and uh, has kind of like a storybook aesthetic. Uh, definitely well worth playing. It, you can probably find it very cheap pretty much anywhere now. It's so odd that, I mean, I, I love these kind of games and these kind of companies, but it's such an odd thing to think of that a company can exist, and I'm sure it's not particularly big, that has made over the last 10 years about five hours of content and yeah, yet has yeah. managed to sustain itself. Because the, the Unfinished Swan and Edith Finch are the only Giant Sparrow games thus far. It's they more are, on the yeah. realm of like a movie studio then, right? Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, studios it... pump out more than a movie every five years. But like, it, right. it, yeah, it's definitely like embracing that sort of indie, uh, visionary, creative spirit. And it's... You know, it, it's in the right place at the right time because I think uh, in 2012 in particular, like the indie game scene was really hitting its stride. I think with the advent uh, uh, or the the popularity of like downloadable titles, where, you know, you were not going to be expecting like the same level of immersiveness as like a triple A sixty dollar game. You know, you can just like download a game for a cheaper price and like play it at home and and uh, experiment a little bit and find some new ways to break narrative and artistic ground with video games. The but there was also, like, around that time, even a more willingness to reach out to that, like, with commercial appeal in the same way, like, A24 found a way to, like, make arty horror movies commercial. Yeah. Like, Sony actually, like, acquired the game The Unfinished Swan, even though, like, 
it's not a game with a ton of commercial potential, but they're like, oh, we want to show that we have kind of an arty sense, um, an awareness of like critical attention. Absolutely. It's, it's a good, I don't know. I think it's just a good bellwether for uh, creating art in general, which is that if it is good, people will seek it out, you know? And, and so it's good to put uh, time and resources and effort into making something good and finding something unique and special and I think that's kind of what the Unfinished Swan was, and it it got a lot of acclaim. It won a couple of awards at the BAFTAs, which is still kind of like the only major award show that's recognizing video games, you know. But that's what about the Spike Game Awards. I mean, yeah, that has a that's... lot of prestige. I I, I agree yeah. with that. That has a lot of. Uh, it's very hoity-toity. It's very upper crust. That's that, that, to my understanding, is right out under uh, Pulitzer's. Yes, yeah. It goes Nobel Pulitzer Spike Game Awards. Except except the way Pulitzer's down get, here is a Grammy. Except the Pulitzer's yeah. don't get hosted by Samuel L. Jackson. So for the big follow-up to The Unfinished Swan, uh, Ian Dallas, who's the creative director of Giant Sparrow, he wanted to experiment a little bit with some story structure and with some ambitious different themes that yeah, you don't really see in video games very often. Now, he claims that he was uh, inspired by this game when he was actually scuba diving off the coast of Washington State. He said that he had this profound experience of, of great beauty and great fear being underneath all that water and just seeing like this great big abyss. And he wanted uh, to create a game that kind of captured that sensation. So I think that's a good pretentious place to start a game. I see, I use pretentious in an affectionate term. Like I think it's good to be pretentious sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah to be clear, like this game is quite pretentious. Oh, absolutely. But, but... No, not in a bad way. Yeah, no, I think, okay. I think it's a, it's good to be ambitious like that. To, to say that specifically, if he was scuba diving off the coast of Washington State, like, I, I do wonder about that. Like, was he actually on Orcas Island? Uh, that's the part of this game that kind of baffles me, um, is, like, to set something in such a precise location and not just use a fictional I uh, island. Um, Which would have been much easier, like, yeah. Yeah, it, it just seems like you're kind of setting yourself up for criticism from the, I guess, not huge group of people who have spent a lot of time on Orcas Island. But it's like, well, if you're just going to make up a bunch of stuff about the island, why set it there? Like, why not just make up some island in Washington? I think there's uh, like a couple, maybe a couple clues in the game that as I was running around, I'm like, that doesn't seem quite right. Um, one of which is when you're running around through the house, which we'll get to in a sec, uh, there's like framed, uh, photographs of like Washington state fairies. But I noticed very like, this is me being like a, a stickler nitpicker, but like that the, the ferry that's pictured is from the, the San Juan Island Friday Harbor ferry and not the Orcas Island ferry, which I, I was kind of like, really? But like, part of me wonders if like, cause like, um, Friday Harbor is a much bigger tourist destination than Orcas Island is. Like, Orcas Island's great if you want to do hiking and camping, and that's about it. Uh, and some, like, Friday... cool, like, vintage and uh, uh, artsy shopping stuff, you know? Yeah, they, yeah, they got a lot yeah. of good stuff like that. And Friday Harbor, like, the second you walk off the ferry, has this, like, very nice, like, um, seafront town that's very welcoming, and, like, everything's within kind of walking distance of there. So it wouldn't shock me if maybe they... Uh, went to to San Juan and did some stuff out there, uh, and, and you know maybe that's where the clue from the picture comes from. But another kind of um, clue, kind of like pointing towards the orcas direction, is uh, a few weeks ago I was actually up on the island and I was at uh, <laughs> as you do on orcas, looking at a uh, an art gallery in someone's aircraft hangar. 
Uh, I ran into uh, Woody's parents there, as you do on Orcas. Sure. Uh, sure. Well, that that is true. That is something you inevitably do on Orcas. They are staples. Run into my parents. Yes. And uh, and so uh, Woody's mom was uh, was telling me about how like oh like there's this uh, one house that is between like Olga and um, and Dobe Resort, which has this kind of like ramshackle sort of like weird um aesthetic where it kind of looks like a bunch of stuff is sort of stapled together and i was like oh maybe that's their inspiration so i could definitely see like bits of the san juans being that kind of inspiration and then maybe they just threw a dart on the map and were like yeah let's go let's go with orcas i mean i will say like i think it helps that this is specific you know, like it, it, it's maybe not like modeled after anything that's actually on Orcas Island, but it is modeled off as something that could potentially be on Orcas Island. Like, yeah, I think they, they, there is something about like very small communities like this. And I grew up in one as well. It was in Colorado, but uh, there is something about it where like the eccentricities really stand out more. Uh, and, and there are, there, there's a little bit more room for that. You know, they, we had a place near where I grew up called Bishop's Castle which was literally just a medieval castle that one man has been building himself for 40 years that's just out in the woods. And it kind of looks like it's just slapped together and falling over, and it's got these crazy, like, Dr. Seussian angles coming off it. Feels like you're going to die if you walk up it, but you walk up it anyway. You know, and it's just one of those quirky small-town things that, like, is spoken about almost like a legend, but it is still a real thing. And I think the Finch house on Orcas Island in this game kind of has that vibe to it. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, it, it, it's not it's not that I think any of that is that big of a deal. Um, it's just it is so rare that something is set there. And it's just odd to be like, all right, we're going to set it here and we're going to have roaming gangs <laughs> <laughs> of monsters even. Um, yeah. So I, I, and speaking of monsters, this game was actually originally going to be much more horror related. Uh, the, the original title was The Nightmare of Edith Finch. It was going to have a lot of like Lovecraftian elements to it. Uh, which they they largely scrapped. I think there are still some moments of kind of otherworldly horror in this game, but it's more it's much more of a meditative kind of tone poem sort of game instead of a horror game. Uh, I think that it does a, a tasteful job of feeling like whatever is going on in this game could have some supernatural elements or origins. Yeah, even though there's not necessarily anything that is like obviously a supernatural well it's it's magical realism is what they kind of landed on like you're you're watching these stories unfold and you understand that like this probably isn't the exact way that this story happened but it's the way that this character believed or it's the way the character felt uh so it it works a lot better on that regard there was one story that was cut there's a little uh uh hint to it in the game you know, there's a moment where you see uh, your great-grandmother, Edie, like, uh, ref- uh, there's a newspaper headline where she refused to leave the house during a forest fire. And originally, that was going to be a playable section in the game that was going to be a musical uh, <laughs> with a song by Weird Al Yankovic. Wow. Uh, and I can't believe they cut that because that's amazing. But uh, no, they, they didn't. I, I guess it didn't fit with the overall uh, vibe of the game. <laughs> but if there was a Weird Al went- song about Orcas Island... That would just be like such such like a full 360 thing for Woody that like it would collapse the universe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean it would have to be changed to like Tacos Island or something, but still, you know, yeah, it, 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 we can make it work. So this game went into development all the way back in 2013, and initially this was going to be a Sony exclusive uh, that was going to be published by the Santa Monica studio. 
However, as production went on, Sony's commitment to their indie game development studio kind of started to waver, and Edith Finch was dropped from their production schedule. But luckily for the team, uh, a lot of team members at Santa Monica left the company shortly thereafter to go work for Annapurna Interactive, which was the video game division of the film company. They were trying to like branch out into video games, uh, and they were quick to take this game on. And this would actually end up being the very first game that Annapurna ever published. And I think it really set the tone for what would become a pretty impressive catalog. Like, weirdly, lately, I've mostly been playing Annapurna games. Like, that's kind of what's been just in rotation. They did uh, Outer Wilds, and they did Florence, and Gone Home, and Kentucky Route Zero. Most recently, they did Stray, which is a really yeah. excellent game. Like, they, they do some it, amazing it, stuff. It is odd for, like, a company that I had never really heard of or thought of. And then just like recently, I've noticed how many games are published by them. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, they really do a lot of really high quality stuff. Um, so as with Unfinished Swan, this was a big critical success and it earned a lot of accolades from the Game Awards, the BAFTAs, and a lot of other prestigious awards. Uh, it debuted on Steam and PS4 in 2017 and was ported to other systems in 2019. Uh, I just played the the PS5 version. It was updated and up-resed for PS5 this last July. Uh, I didn't notice a huge difference, but it runs very smoothly. And uh, there's, again, that PS5 controller is just so incredible. Um, the the sequence where you really feel it is the the photography memory, uh, where you're, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can you can really feel the shutter click when you're pulling that trigger. It's so cool. Um, so. Yeah, well, well, from from here on out, we're going to be talking about the story and about the characters and everything like that. So this is your final warning for for any kind of spoilers. It it I found like I was trying to write down some notes and kind of like describe the story of this game, and I found it kind of challenging to summarize because it's got this really interesting kind of cascading like story structure that takes place like you open one journal and then you open another journal and then you open another journal and then there's a flashback within that flashback and then it pulls back even further and then it goes forward into the past. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a question of how much into the nitty gritty you want. Like the very baseline story is like Edith Finch had, her family had a house on Orcas Island and all of the generations of people met strange fates. Yeah. And you just kind of walk through this house and sort of relive their various fates. Yeah, and that's that's basically kind of the gist of it, you know. So Edith Finch uh, at the beginning of this game is seventeen. Uh, she's twenty-two weeks pregnant, and she's revisiting her family home for the first time in I think what did they say like seven years, something like that. I think she left when she was pretty young, uh, and you know the the whole place has been locked down. There's no power. And uh, she's basically just taking, like, a walking tour of her memories. We never really learn why she's here specifically, other than to just, like, reconnect with her past, I think. I believe that um, since all of her family is dead at this point, she now owns the house. Right, yeah. Oh, okay, so she could just be, like, just checking it out and just visiting the, the, the home. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's this very melancholy kind of game overall but it's not without bits of humor it's not without bits of style you know so each time you encounter a new journal most of the things are uh, uh the stories are relayed through journals mostly or through notes things like that whenever you find a journal written by a former family member you will take on that character and relive their story and these little vignettes can last like uh, 10 minutes at the longest and like one minute at the shortest like some of them are very very <laughs> brief um, and, and, uh, the rest of the time you're just kind of exploring this big rambling house, which is 
a full-on character in the game on its own. Like, it's a really personable and interesting and kind of impossible-seeming house. Uh, it, it's clear, like, from the design of it that every person who's lived here has left their mark on it in some way, and they weren't really concerned with a cohesive design. It's just like, okay, <laughs> this is this is what your personality is bringing to this house. And so you might have, like... Uh, a, you know, there, there's kind of a, 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 a wood shop in the basement, and then below that, there's a bunker that somebody hides in, and then you've got this nice, big, elaborate library, and then there's a boat sticking out of the top of the house. Like, I, I mean... Well, yeah, I, I believe the premise is, as the family members sort of died off, Edith's mom, like, continually would seal off their rooms and then sort of add more to the house later yeah. Um, because she didn't want to actually, like, lose the sort of uh, monuments to any of these other family members. And that's another aspect of the story that I think is interesting in terms of the idea of, like, a self-fulfilling prophecy of, like, some of the family members think that the family itself is cursed. Yeah. Um, whereas it may just be the belief in this curse is kind of what make because a lot of these you know a lot of the things that occur are you know mistakes um but clearly mistakes that could have been avoided <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah re reasons for these for these deaths and it's like okay are people kind of inflicting these sort of tragedies upon themselves with this belief in fate and this curse and the, and uh, like i said there's also just kind of a there's kind of a sense that all of these characters all these people in this family are just kind of not really suited for the world, you know, for whatever reason, yeah, because because it. of their their personalities, their beliefs, their their fixations, whatever reason, they just don't quite fit in with the rest of the world, and they tend to, you know, uh, uh, struggle to make their way through it. And it's pretty telling that the only character in the entire family that lives like a good, long, healthy life is Grandma Edie, who is the only one who sort of embraces the chaos of this so-called curse that kind of understands like that you need to look into the chaos. You need to accept it and you can't be afraid of it. Whereas I think like, there's, just, yeah. Okay. There's well, so I think you're right. And that Edie, Edie's kind of just like normalized, like, Oh, well, I, you know, I guess I'm just cursed. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, ho yeah. um, but uh, who is it? I, uh, there's a character. I think it's Edith's, I think you said Edith, uh, Edie is Edith's grandmother. Your great grandmother, uh, yeah, yeah. Edith's mother, uh, Dawn, Dawn. I think. Yeah. Uh, she, I think, is is one that was just like, you know what? F all this. I'm just gonna get out and not deal with any of this drama anymore. Uh, because who, like, who wants to live in a house where like half the rooms are boarded up and there's like these like Seinfeldian uh reverse peepholes in all the doors. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And as far as we can tell from the game, like Dawn, like, you know, the the uh, mother of the character that you're playing as is seemingly unaffected by this curse and seems to have like a totally normal life, you know, as much as you possibly can without, you know, uh, swinging off of uh, a swing into like a pile of rocks uh, and, other, yeah. you know, multiple OSHA violations that you would find around the house. Yeah. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like we never see Dawn is one of the few people who doesn't have a death sequence. Well, she yeah, not a playable one. We do. I mean, again, with the spoilers, but we do get the revelation that, you know, 
she did die young and she died uh, just of a disease. You know, she died in a very commonplace way that a lot of people die of. And it wasn't her fault. It wasn't anything she could have done. But she is also the character who spent the biggest portion of her life trying to escape this idea that this curse is living in this house. And she left and it still got to her anyway. You know, so it's uh, it's a very telling and a really kind of intelligent way of approaching this this idea of of death and life. Um, you know, so I, I want to break down some of these individual uh, character moments because each time you step into another vignette, it's basically a different gameplay style. All all, and while being said, this game is very very simple in its execution. All you ever use are the analog sticks and the right trigger, and that is it. It's basically uh, a walk yeah. simulator. So, yeah, yeah, you could. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that term tends to be used pejoratively, but I think it is kind of accurate here because there isn't really a challenge to the gameplay. Like, you're guided along the entire time by the diary itself. Like, the words of the narration will appear in the game itself and will kind of let you know where you need to be going. I like that. That works really well to have the words appear on the screen and kind of direct you. Yeah. And I mean, as kind of a digression, Woody, you said you, you played this game with your mom, uh, who. Yeah, I. I... I felt like it was important. Um, I mean, video games have been a big part of my life for a long, long time. And my mom has always been kind of separate from them and not doesn't quite have an interest. And I'm like, okay, mom, this game takes place on Orcas Island and you can't, you really can't mess it up. Like there's no way, ironically for a game that's all about death, there's no real way to die <laughs> yeah, in this game. Yeah. It doesn't punish um, you for dying. It's, it rewards yeah, you. you, you you just kind of walk from place to place. And, you know, I played through my mom basically played through this whole game with me kind of slowly guiding her on how to move around using the controller. And it probably took about three times longer <laughs> than uh, it needed. So to, three but, hours uh, instead of uh, one. Hour. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it, it will go down in record is probably the only game we've played all the way through together. And I, you know, she still talks about it and, it just it, it really works as a resonant piece of art for anyone who I don't know it likes an interesting story and likes seeing creative things yeah um, I don't it, it is an odd thing that I, I want to touch on this topic at the end so we can think about this a little bit but like what do you think this game gains from being a video game as opposed to just a movie. Ooh, that, I was just going to ask that question, actually. Yeah, there's essentially no challenge to this game. Right. Um, no, no scorekeeping metric, and your story's going to be the same every time because you just walk on a very linear path. Like, there's a couple parts where you can sort of play different stories in different orders, um, but that's basically it. So, and so I don't know. Let's just. I want to revisit that topic then. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's an immersive element to it that might, like, make it stand out. But, like, I could see this being, like, a really good, like, kind of quirky indie movie. You know, you can you could do this as a film. You know, I think it's not a perfect one-to-one, but the recent movie, 3,000 Years of, uh, of uh, uh, Sadness. Is it 3,000 Years of Sadness? I'm already forgetting the name. Longing. Longing, excuse me. I was confusing it with Triangle of Sadness. Lots of, uh, lots of crazy, pretentious titles lately, but... Yeah, but uh, the it's a similar idea of kind of like these these little vignettes within the overall story, and you kind of dip in and out of them as you go. So you could do that kind of structure with a movie and make it work. But I think it does benefit from being a video game. 
uh, because you're you're also getting to explore a couple of different genres. So like some of the things you do here, like you, I think your first vignette is Molly, who is a a ten year old girl who is sent to bed without her supper, and I think it's implied. I, I if I'm reading the story right, she poisons herself by eating some like uh, uh, poinsettia berries. And starts yeah. having some really vivid hallucinations where she turns into a, a cat and then an owl and then a shark and then a monster. And then she's like eating all these different people. And uh, and then it's implied that she kind of dies in her sleep after that, you know, so. Well, there's a very dis- sort of disturbing idea of you are the monster, but you slowly like are bringing the first person view to like to Molly, right? You're bringing the monster to Molly. Who's going to eat her. Yeah. Even though that is also her herself. And I think this is where hunger is like dooming her. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is where like gameplay elements really make this shine as opposed to this just being like something you watch on YouTube. Like you could, you could get like 75% of the value out of this by just watching all the, all the playthrough on YouTube. Sure. Well, and I do think that was a thing that like, the creators probably kind of struggled with like i bet that they lost a lot of sales for people just like streaming the game that's true yeah you know what I mean? yeah if somebody streams this game and you just watch them play the whole thing you're like oh i guess i don't need to buy that now right i think uh, what they what those people miss ahead. out on though is being a kind of having that agency with these kind of different gameplay elements so you know all of these little vignette vignettes are different and they have like different gameplay elements to them they're they're relatively simple but you know each one is so different than the last that it's like almost kind of like a mini game collection combined into a walking simulator kind of with the molly with the molly one specifically you know you're you have like cat-like controls and you're like platforming a little bit and then owl-like controls and you're flying and it's just like immediate you're like whoa like that's like a really like not jarring gameplay difference but like it's so like it, it it plays so smoothly that you really have to like kind of applaud the developers for like how how they manage that transition. And I really there and you miss out on the part with the uh, the Molly segment where I think you turn into a shark and you're just kind of like like limply rolling downhill, which I got a big belly laugh. Out yeah, of. So, like things like that are, you know, th- that kind of agency and feeling the rumble through the controller and all that stuff is, is what you miss out on by just watching the cutscenes. I mean, one of the standout sequences is uh, uh, Barbara Finch, who was the aforementioned. She was a child star. She did like she was famous for like two years. She did a movie where she was a friend befriending a Sasquatch, which is a cute idea. And then we and the reason the reason that you find about her story is in her room. There's sort of a Tales from the Crypt comic. Yes, it's this amazing is... like EC Comics kind of throwback with a talking jack o' lantern. Yeah, who's like the crypt keeper, and he tells this story of Barbara, this former, you know, scream queen, whore icon, um, and like her time dealing with home invaders inside, uh, inside of the island. And that that was another thing that made me laugh is there was a newspaper or like a television story on t- uh, news story while you're walking around of like roaming gangs of Halloween <laughs> thugs are like traversing orcas island and it's like uh you're aware they're all just gonna get lost in the woods right? oh yeah like, like immediately there's, there's no there's no streets to traverse but this is kind of the brilliant part of the structure of this game like this this whole segment is played out with kind of a, sh- a cell shaded style that is like played out over comic book panels and you're controlling it during this time uh but 
you learn a couple of things here. Firstly, you learn that there's a key hidden inside a music box, which will tell you how to get into the basement, okay, which is the next place you need to go. They sort of reveal that to you organically. And then you also get to introduce Walter, her little brother, who is deeply traumatized by seeing whatever it is that happens to Barbara, which forces him to go underground. And then you get this character, you get his story where he is sequestering himself in a bunker underneath the house for 30 years just eating peaches until the one day he finally decides to break out he's going to leave he's going to ex go explore the island for one day and then he immediately gets hit by one of those big orcas island trains and, uh, and dies on the train tracks uh and you know that as goofy as that is because you know there's no train on orcas island um i i, I forgive that in the sense that like you're in Walter's head and like he's someone who is obsessed with trains and like it's what he perceives as happening may not actually be what happened. I mean, he could have died for any number of reasons. Oh yeah. I mean, and it should be said kind of what he's like the, the story of Barbara resolves with like, she is eaten by a bunch of monsters, but what we understand it to be is that, okay, well she was probably killed by her boyfriend we think Walter probably witnessed it, which is what kind of traumatized him so badly. And, you know, it, we, we read between the lines for these things. We understand that the people who are telling these stories believe them to be true, but these are not necessarily the ways that they happened. Lots of unreliable right. narrator happening. Exactly. Yeah, yeah lots of that. I, I think the, the masterpiece segment of this game, I don't know if you guys will agree with me, but um, is, is Lewis Finch's story. Um, yeah. This is the one where... Uh, Lewis is, uh, he's a recovering drug addict. He's got some uh, pretty severe depression and mental health problems, and he's got this monotonous and unsatisfying job decapitating fish at a cannery. And so as this segment plays out, you are using the right stick to move fish over to the little guillotine and chop their heads off and then shoot them down the slide. But with your left hand, you're seeing his fantasy world like starting to develop. It starts with a very basic kind of like early Wolfenstein style maze outline. And as it, he walks through this world, it becomes more and more in depth. It becomes more detailed until eventually it's this lush 3D world where you're being like crowned the king of the whole planet. And like the, the, the fish becomes like a less and less of an element in the screen. You know, this segment is maybe 10 minutes long and it, it's just absolutely heartbreaking and beautiful i think this is just the absolute masterpiece of the game yeah I, I think that it hits a lot of notes that people who would be you know interested in video games would hit in the in the sense that like i think we've all had experiences of being stuck at some job we're not interested in and just what feeling our mind wandered to like the video game that we're playing at the time and what we're excited about to engage in this RPG or, you know, and just seeing the actual tasks that we're doing. Cause what, what happens in this is like, you're not really punished if you don't, you know, continually move the fish. No, they just take up more and more visual space and information on the screen until you can't really see what, is going on in Walter's fan or Lewis's fantasy. And occasionally it'll so you keep you on track by like a door will get blocked by a big fish and you'll need to I decapitate see. the fish to open the door. You know, like uh, this segment I think is the argument for why this needs to be a video game yep. because exactly. 
that's the real immersive element of it. Before long, your right hand is sort of moving automatically like the story wants you to feel. Like this is supposed to be monotonous, automatic. You're not really thinking about it. But you're using both halves of your brain to kind of make this happen. And and it, it, it really kind of brings you into the world while still like uh, rooting you in reality. And I, I thought it was just a masterstroke. Yeah, I, it is an amazing segment. And I always thought it was so weird or it just caught me by surprise that um, they don't do the super obvious thing of Walter, like, or I keep calling him Walter, but Lewis um, chopping his hand off or like putting it in the grinder or something. Cause I just immediately assumed that where this is, that's where this And it is kind of implied that he, he might've killed himself with, in that machinery, uh, at, oh, you know, okay. and that's, that's kind of, you know, because, and again, some of the really heartbreaking moments are like not even just what's written in the journal, but what they're written on. Like Lewis's story is conveyed from his psychiatrist at the mental institution or or the the story about uh, uh, little baby Gregory and his his tragic little ballet in the bathtub. That's written on a divorce proceedings <laughs> no, a pot, like paperwork like that is heartbreaking. Like that is so wrenching for that to happen. And it's like it, it, it's a you know the Gregory sequence is is very expressionistic and kind of playful. You're playing from the first person perspective of a baby, and you're making all of your bath toys like dance to like uh, is the Nutcracker Suite. Yeah, I think yeah, so. and I mean it's a beautiful little segment, but we understand what's happening here, and it's horrible. Uh, you know, so it, it's it's uh, yeah, that that's where the game like really kind of sticks the knife in, you know. I think that this game really does a good job. I mean, you, you referenced his magical realism earlier of having all of these heavy topics. Um, but to me, like this game never really feels that heavy. No. Um, in the sense that like there's most of the mini games, the quote unquote mini games or the segments that you play have like a current of joy running through them. Like, you know, one of the kids who, essentially goes around the swing set um, is like, that is like a transcendent moment of hitting the heavens that like kids dream about yeah. going around the swing set. And you really feel triumphant in having achieved that, even though what you're really doing is flinging him off the cliff. <laughs> I mean, um, and when, and when so you think about games that are known for being sad, the two, the two that pop up in my head are this and the last of us and the last of us is much more, dreary and and dire and yes. serious and heavy and like you really need it really feels like taking your medicine sometimes and this one doesn't feel like that yeah i think i think that's a good way to put it like yeah this game never feels dreary like the house always has like kind of a tone of whimsy to it it's it's um, clearly like a, a family full of love like it really comes across that this is like a very loving accepting family yeah, and I wonder if there like if it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way where, you know, if you're growing up in this house where there's all of like, you know, these unreliably narrated um experiences of in some instances deaths that maybe could have been prevented, uh it kind of keeps this snowballing legacy of yeah, maybe we shouldn't put any safety features on that swing set. Or maybe <laughs> this uh, 22 uh, week pregnant uh, young girl shouldn't be walking across like thin gangplanks and jumping on the roof of her house. Right. Yeah, climbing trees. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there there is that sense of like, you know, they're they're ignoring kind of a lot of the danger that's right there in front of them. But, you know, you also have, 
this great kind of fantastical origin story going back to the beginning of the Finch family where they were trying to ship their entire house over from Sweden and it sank like just, you know, less than a mile off the coast and you can still during low tide look out and see the remnants of the old house just like slightly offshore, you know, that's... Well, and that becomes a segment too yeah. is the tide gets very, very low and you're able to walk out to the house. Yeah, yeah. And I mean... Uh, so I uh, just in the interest of like leveting out some of the praise, I will say the one segment that didn't really work for me just kind of on a technical level was like the photography section. Mm, yeah, I was going to ask about that, too. Just the hunting trip. Like I said, the, the, the PS5 controller worked beautifully during this section, but I found this one a little frustrating because like you're not really given any visual clues of what you're supposed to be looking for to advance the story. And everything is so out of focus until you're specifically cued in on what you're looking for that that's kind of the only time I ever hit any snags. I think in this segment, particularly like it sets it up pretty well at the beginning of like, Oh, you know, in order to get to the next sequence. So you're playing from the perspective of uh, Sam Finch, who is, uh the father of dawn so i guess your your main character edith's grandfather um and you know you're going around taking pictures during this uh during this uh, camping trip and to go from sequence to sequence you basically just like almost kind of like a morbid pokemon snap of like having to like guide the camera in a certain direction and okay i'm gonna take a picture of my daughter who's crying now great next sequence um, and yeah, like I was really frustrated cause I was having such a great time with the game and there was this one part where, okay, um, you know, uh, daughter, you gotta, you gotta shoot the elk that's up on the, on the, uh, on the precipice there. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, me as the photographer, like what the hell am I supposed to be like focusing in on here? And I was like hitting all the buttons and trying to like quit and rejoin and like all these different things. And I somehow must have accidentally hit the right button, but then, you know, it, the rest of the sequence played out and I'm like, Oh, I sure hope that you know doesn't happen again. But that was the only only time where I was like, "Am I doing something wrong here?" That is similarly, yeah. That was that was kind of the only snag I ran into in the gameplay sense, you know, where uh, it could have been a little bit more streamlined. But like, you know, that's that's still a pretty good batting average, and this is a, a, a less true. than five minute segment overall, you know, so it's not going to detract from your enjoyment of it. But you know, I just thought I'd, I'd leaven it out just to keep things, you know, uh, uh, nice and fair and balanced. You know, I'm, we're like Fox News here. <laughs> we're exactly like Fox exactly, News. Exactly, in every way. Um, but I, I do appreciate, like, how, I don't know, like, brisk the playthrough of this game feels. Um, like You just never quite feel like you're having to slog um, because there's always... Even if, you know, the segment that you're doing isn't quite as engaging as some of the other ones, you know that it will be over pretty quick. Exactly. Um, and, and it's just that wonder. It's always that moment. Um, once you sort of understand that each segment here is going to have its own different tone and weird thing, there's a real moment of delight every time you pick up one of these journals or records of a family member because you're just like what is this one going to be what are they going to throw at me now absolutely yeah and you never really quite know and and it is yeah yeah like you said it's very brisk this is a game i i just sat down to kind of play it yesterday just in anticipation of this recording i I wasn't planning to play through the whole thing i was just like all right i just wanted to get like a a sense of kind of the framing structure. It's been a little bit, you know, and uh, two hours later I was rolling credits on it. You know, it is one that you just feel compelled to sit and play in one sitting. And uh, it it really is a perfect game for that, you know, and I think 
I, you know, Scott, you used the word accessible at the beginning. I think, like, despite kind of some of the the heavier themes of this game, I think it is incredibly accessible. I think anybody could pick this up and uh, play it and get a lot out of it. And it wouldn't even be that huge of a time investment for you to do so. Yeah, it's a game that is it's one of those rare games where it can almost recommend it to everyone. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe not like young kids, but um, <laughs> yeah, they won't really appreciate it. Because Even if someone if you think that like, OK, I'm not I just want to play like if you're like me and I'm like, OK, I just want to play action games where I get to run around and slice things like. I'm not interested in these sort of pretentious walking simulators. I think that this game uh, moves forward at actually a pretty fast pace. Mm -hmm. um, And you'll find yourself getting engaged by each of the little bite-sized interactions. And if you're someone who's like, I mean, I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast again, unless you're my mom, (laughs) but who's like video games are not really that interesting to me. And they're just kind of like, um, segments of you know violence and have no real relation to the world like this is a game to check out and to show someone show someone like that and be like look this is a game that really does try to grapple with things on an emotional level and probably would only succeed by being a game like succeed on that same level by really putting you into these um perspectives of each different character yeah because even if this even if this were a movie, um, I don't think that the different scenes would have the um, the tonal shifts that works in this game. Because you're you really feel like you're seeing the world through a new character's perspective every time. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the using the games as art argument is kind of tired by this point. You know, I think uh, we're we're. It, it's become one of those things where it's like, I don't really feel the need to defend it anymore. You know, you can you can take it or leave it, whatever. Like, I'm not trying to tell you what art is, but I think sure. this is one of those games that makes that very compelling argument. Uh, but I think that a lot of a, a lot of games, especially like really popular ones, are not trying to be art. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's fine. Sure. Um, for them. But this is an example of a game that is trying to be art, but is also... Uh, pretty easy and fun to play yeah well i say one art please sign me up (laughs) i would like one uh well do we have any final things remaining to say about what remains of edith finch i think if you Uh, haven't been to orcas island uh you should go there and check it out i agree (laughs) i absolutely strongly agree with that like it's worth the little ferry trip you know because even the ferry trip is part of the experience like the ferry is great this is true yeah yeah. Tell tell my parents that I say hi. Absolutely. Um, I I do have one question since we're you know deep in spoiler territory anyway. Yeah. What do you guys feel like about the ending of this game? Because the twist is like at the beginning you see a character on the ferry going to Orcas Island and you're like okay that must be Edith because he's got Edith's diary. Um, and then at the end that's revealed to be Edith's son. Right. Um, and like the actual entirety of the game itself was sort of a flashback in her journal and it's revealed that edith herself you know died in childbirth um i i was not crazy about this i don't think it's bad by any means it was just like 
I don't know why 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 does Edith have to it, die? It was it was <laughs> gilding the lily a little bit. I think it was it was just kind of like just just one more sort of unnecessary detail that we didn't necessarily need. Like because yeah yeah you're right. Now it just kind of leaves us with like wait so this this young boy is just an orphan now like and he well, has no I family and maybe maybe to like press down on the artsy fartsy button a little bit um i think like the the title of the game what remains of edith finch is the sun is the journal is the house and okay. maybe also is like you know the the choice that the sun has of like okay do i continue on with this weird tradition that my family has of like putting all the tombstones in the backyard and like making all of the uh, the fences as sharp as possible for bodily harm <laughs> or do i you know take the path that you know don did and just kind of walk away from this all and start my own new path and not worry about like these familial curses and things and and that so i think like the the like the remnants what remains is like you know this this nebulous choice and i wish that like maybe the game had lingered on that a little longer um yeah, because like it really is very of, brief that we, we we see him like laying flowers on the grave, and that's kind of all we see of him. Right. Yeah. Just it's maybe like a like two a minute cutscene almost. It's like a weird decision to include a twist because like the twist doesn't really paint anything that you've seen in a different light. It catches. It caught me by surprise, but I didn't feel like I had any more appreciation for anything after. Would this have been better if it was an after credit sequence? I don't know. That's an interesting point because, I mean, for me, an after credit sequence kind of, unless you're like a Marvel movie, you know, it kind of implies that like this is an afterthought. This this doesn't really play into the narrative. Or I guess Metal Gear Solid Four, you know, that that is the whole narrative is an after credit sequence. But yeah, it's it's an interesting point because you know the the thesis that they were kind of leaving us with was either just saying like you need to embrace the chaos. You need to accept that like life is beautiful and fleeting. It's all very short and we never, we have no guarantees and we can't know what's going to happen. But then for her to just kind of succumb to the family fate leaves the, the message a little nebulous to me. Yeah. I'm still waiting yeah. for Nick Fury to show up at the end, end credit <laughs> sequence for the, to start up the Finch cinematic universe. <laughs> have you heard of the unfinished Swan initiative? <laughs> Yeah, I, We're I don't finish think it's that a problem. <laughs> I don't think that it has. Um, I don't think that it detracts from the game in really any way. I just was curious to hear your guys's take. Yeah, um, I think I think regardless of like any nitpicky things, like I think that this is a great game to spend two hours playing. Yeah, and is well worth doing. And if you haven't played it in a while, like go play it again because there's probably a lot of cool parts that you forgot. And, and like you said, like it's it's a bit of a thinker to leave the game on, but it's not going to detract from the experience. It's not going to be the part of the experience you're walking away with, really, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I think that about wraps it up for us. Uh, we just want to say thank you once again to Scott for being such an amazing supporter of us for so long and for bringing us such interesting and challenging and fun and unique games for us to talk about. Uh, I think more than most anyone else, you you challenged <laughs> us and and had us like think outside of our boundaries and kind of uh, expand a little bit on what a video game could be. And I think that's so incredibly valuable. And and you've brought an incredible amount of insight and intelligence to it. And I just I really really appreciate having these conversations with you. 
Yeah, well, I I have to give a, a tip of my hat and, a, and an applause to your guys' podcast. I know you guys are wrapping oh. up your, your episode soon. Uh, I thought you were going to get a wag of the face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we, we avoided a tut, that. Tut, tut. Uh, I think, like, and I say this uh, earnestly, that, like, this is, this, you know, excluding the episodes that I have been on, because I think I've dragged the quality down significantly. But, uh, <laughs> oh, not the, true. The, uh like this podcast has probably been one of like my top three that I've listened to like continuously for the past, like five years or so, just like the level of quality and like enthusiasm and effort that you guys put in has just been uh, just amazing. And uh, I guess like to, to segue into the plugging bit, um, like you guys have like inspired me to kind of carry on the torch of video game podcasting a little bit Ooh. where I, I have uh, in, I guess, I don't know, maybe like, the next week or so uh Ooh. it's timed out pretty nicely where um i'm planning on starting up a podcast all about roguelike games oh so amazing the uh the the times where i've tortured you guys with with things like <laughs> cogmind uh are definitely in there but also skewed more towards the uh the more kind of mainstream roguelike games that you would encounter like slay the spire or enter the gungeon or oh, ones that are maybe borderline uh <laughs> things like that so um, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can find, uh, the hastily thrown together website that I've put together for that, uh, called titled the going rogue gaming podcast. Uh, the website for that is right now is, uh, yeah. So if you, if you search for grogpod.zone, grogpod.zone. Okay. So G R O G. Yep. G R O G like the drink, uh, because every, Every good um, system has to have like some sort of tortured acronym to it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like you'll find, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a hastily thrown out uh, welcome mat uh, for for when the first episode comes out. And our first episode that we'll be talking about is uh, the 2011 game Dungeons of Dreadmore. Oh wow! Uh, so so stay tuned for that one. Uh, yeah, I think like you guys have really just kind of inspired me to kind of you know take on that challenge of like you know, try doing a podcast and, you know, I, I did podcasting ages and ages ago. It's been, you know, maybe like a decade plus since I've come to it, but like all the times where I've been listening to you guys talk and talk about, about games, it's just been such a fun experience. I really want to like help continue that experience with, with my own sort of uh, flavor with a, a, a genre that I think people will enjoy. That's, I mean, that's... Congratulations, Scott. Your website has been up for, I imagine, a couple days and it already looks much more professional than ours. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, I try. No. No, I know. You do, no, you I, I agree with you. Not. I agree with you. Uh, um, also, do you guys have the problem where every time you try to type out the word rogue, you end up writing the word rouge? 100%. I do that yeah. every time. I don't know why rogue is the hardest word to spell in English, but I can, I can, was... uh, I can one-up you on that. Until I was probably about 12 or 13, I thought the X-Men character was named Rouge. Okay. So, like, I'd been That's reading that good. comic for years, and I'm like, oh, Rouge, my favorite character. And then somebody looked at me cockeyed. I'm like, you mean Rogue? I'm like, of course I do. I misspoke. I always do. That's not, I'm not Rouge on my face. It's Rogue. No, come on. I'm not a dummy. Well, well, that's exciting, Scott. I'm excited to uh, hear your first episode about a game I've never heard of. So. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be amazing. Everybody check that out. Thank you once again for being on the show. And uh, we will see you all next time. I don't know when this, I forget exactly when this is coming out or what's coming up this week, but an episode is coming up this week. It will be about video games. You'll like it. Check it out. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.